Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. I'm so excited for this episode. Um, I have today Renee Wasserman. She is a certified infant and child sleep consultant. I know there's so many sleep questions out there, so I'm really excited to get Renee's perspective and uh, and expertise. Renee? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, every day at work, there's not a day, probably multiple times a day, uh, I get questions from families with sleep concerns, um, whether it's their infant having trouble sleeping, their toddler having s- trouble sleeping. So I'm really excited to um, to talk to you. Um, so first, can I ask you how did you how did you start becoming a sleep consultant? Where where did your interest or where where did this start for you? Um, honestly, probably from like a mom in your practice, right? Like who, one of your clients, patients, families. Um, I'm just a mom. I have three girls. They're teenagers now, but my oldest was not a great sleeper when she was really little. And so I just like sort of became obsessed on figuring out how to get her to become a good sleeper. And once I did help friends and friends of friends and also just realized so quickly, like when my kids were well-rested even as babies, they were like so much better prepared to take on the world the next day, um, whatever that meant at their ages. So I just, I found it so interesting and so rewarding. And so I helped friends, like I said, and friends of friends, and then I had an opportunity to become certified. And I did that about eight, nine years ago. So do you do this for, for infants starting from a certain age? I start official sleep training. Like I'll put them on a real plan at 18 weeks, like sometimes 16 to 18 weeks. I usually try to wait till 18 weeks. I'll work with families before that, setting up, you know, a good foundation for sleep, safe sleep, environment routine, things like that. But I won't start like a real approach, whether that's crying it out or time checks, things like that, um, until that 16, 18 week mark. Okay. So, so four, four and a half months. Exactly. Okay. And so if a family reaches out to you, when they have an infant or let's say a one month old where they're having trouble, what kind of advice would you offer at that age? Is there anything parents can do from a young age to start uh, good sleep habits and routine yeah. or are they just I mean, too little? No, there definitely are things that you can do. It's just on a much more gradual, much more like big picture. So we definitely can make sure that environment is very tight and ideal we can start a routine as soon as a little one makes those social smiles. What is that? Like six weeks, give or take. They're yes. starting to make connections. So they're starting to know like, oh, when you go in the room and you swaddle me or you turn on my sound machine or you dim my lights, oh, it's time for sleep. So we can like start to make those connections. Okay. Um, I talk a lot about safe sleep at all ages, but certainly at those like young ages about always putting them on their back and being swaddled and things like that. Um, and then we talk about schedule, not so much from a real strict schedule at that age, because I don't believe in that, but really from the perspective of getting them back to sleep before they become overtired, because the more rested they are, the better sleeper they're going to be. The more overtired, you know, the more more sleep issues and challenges you're going to have. Yes. I always use the expression that sleep begets sleep, that the, yeah. the more they sleep, the better they sleep. Right. But it's totally counterintuitive, I think. Because you I think, agree. Like, you know, keep them up more during the day, they'll sleep better at night. And it almost, you know, almost always backfires. And it's not the case. No. Right. A lot of families will say they, their children sleep so much during the day, especially those infant, those infant months. 
and they'll wake them up after a two hour nap, hoping for a better night's sleep. And you're right. The opposite almost inevitably happens. I mean, I do try to wake little ones by three hours after sleeping for three hours, but you know, how long can they stay up? They're up for maybe an hour and then they're back down again when they're little. So um, when we hit that sweet spot and keep them from becoming overtired, you'll have a much better rested child. I mean, it's kind of for all of us too, right? Like when we miss our sweet spot, sometimes harder to fall asleep. So, but I think that is so true. That is so true. Um, Yeah. If you, if you, you want to definitely pay attention to your own sleep cues, even as adults or or we can get, stay stay awake longer than we want. Yeah. Okay. So, so back, back to the infant. So for a new, a new parent, they have an infant. Um, What are some, the tips that they can do just to recap, to make sure they set their child up for uh, to be better sleepers. So you mentioned swaddling, back to sleep. So safe sleep for sure trumps everything. Yes. Always on their back, nothing in that crib with them other than them in their swaddle. If they take a pacifier, that's totally fine. No okay. bumpers, no blankets, no toys. Small loveys, I always punt that to you, the pediatrician, because technically speaking, the American Academy of Pete says nothing until one year's. All I can think of like two pediatricians I've worked with that aren't comfortable with a lovey at a much younger age, but because of the rules from American Academy of Peds, I always pump that one. So, if, you yes. know, they can make that choice. Thank themselves you. Or talk to, <laughs> yep, exactly. Right. Or talk to their pediatrician. Um, but other than that, they're in their crib, on their back, in their swaddle. Once they start to roll, then we want to get them out of that swaddle, but then we want to use some sort of sleep sack. Because again, all, you know, like swaddling, zipping up that sack, those are all really, really strong, positive sleep association. Like, oh, the zipper goes up, up the head goes down, it's time for sleep, you know, that kind of thing. So we can get a nice, consistent routine at a young age. Um, The room should be dark, dark. Okay. Um, Dark, dark. What about room temperature? Cool. Cool. Like right around 70 is the goal. Okay. So dark, dark room, cool temperature, a sleep sack, back on their sleep. Um, and then I would agree with you. I, I do actually think like a 12 by 12 small, thin lovey is, is okay. Right. right. And I think they're phenomenal. Like they're just really big comfort items for kids. So. Yes. Yes. So especially if they can associate that item with sleep. Um, right. I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way, but I, I often tell parents that kids do really well when they know what to expect next. So if they, they know that, you know, with the zip up, for example, and then, uh, and then you give them the lovey and then the lights are off and then they know that sleep comes next. That's often a helpful, right? It's that predictability of the, of the routine. So I always tell parents, like, you don't have to read the exact same book, but if they know that you walk in the room, you dim the lights, you turn on the sound machine, you zip up the sack, you sit in the chair, yes. you read your book, you say a prayer. If that's what you do, you do a quick snuggle in like, bam, bam, every single night they start to get yes. used to it and expect like fantastic. You said. And, it, and you're right. It works well for adults in that way too. Yeah, so totally, totally. good lessons all around. Okay. Yeah. So then, and then now the child becomes 14, 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, you said 16, eight, 18 weeks. 18 weeks. Mm-hmm. And then we can start, they can call a sleep consultant like yourself and, uh, or start, start sleep training on their own. And, um, is there a weight that you think they should be at before beginning sleep training? A lot of pediatricians will say between 12 and 14 pounds. Others don't really care. And just as long as they kind of hit that 16 to 18 week mark, they're fine with it. Okay. But I should clarify that sleep training doesn't equate with having to go all night without feedings. So at 
16 to 18 weeks, I encourage one feeding. If parents want two, I'm totally okay with two. And some kids will be fine with none. But I think sometimes in people's heads, they think sleep training. Oh my gosh, that means I have to like wean. I can't feed them all night long. At that age, it absolutely does not mean that. And how would that work for you? Would that be where you feed them on your, on the time that you pick, or do you wait until the child wakes up wanting to feed? So I recommend a time to eat. I always recommend that first wake up after midnight. If they're on one feeding, that first wake up after midnight, if they're on two feedings, the second feeding would come later than that. And the reason is, is that first half of the night is your deepest sleep. So that's the stretch that we want to get the most consolidated and not, um, disturbed by wake-ups. So we want to get a nice, strong stretch up until midnight. If they wake, we'll feed them then. Okay. And then maybe a second feeding or all the way to the morning. Okay. So, um, so just to, just a question here, I hear a lot about, um, uh, dream feeds, which is actually something I did with my oldest child, um, where to break that cycle of where they cry and then expect to get fed. We fed her before she woke up to cry in the hopes that that would help promote uh, a sleeping without waking to, to feed. Right. Do you have any opinions on dream feeds? Yeah. So I personally am not a huge fan of them after okay. like that four month mark prior to four months. I think they can be really helpful when I'm okay. trying to teach a little one to be an independent sleeper. I want them to wake when they're feeling like they need to wake. And then we can decide if that's a need versus a want. But just because I go and feed them, maybe they would have been able to go the whole stretch without anything. And often I'll right. see if I interrupt that first stretch, that consolidated stretch that we're aiming for. It actually can result in more wake-ups the second half of the night. So I, okay. when a parent comes to me at that four-and-a-half-month mark, I stop the dream feeds um, and move to just that first feed after that first wake-up after midnight or stop all feeds, deciding, you know, depending where we're at. Okay, so that's good to know. So, so you can sleep train uh, effectively, even with, uh, night feeds, hundred percent. they don't have to stop feeding to start, 100%. to start. We might okay. want to limit them. I, I don't do unlimited night feedings, but certainly one or two feedings a night, a hundred percent is possible. Okay. And do you, now this is the big question that comes up all the time. Um, I think it's, I don't know if it's controversial in the, in the sleep world, but a lot of parents have mixed feelings about uh, uh, the sleep extinction method um, and what sleep training means. Does that mean, you know, does, is cry it out going to be harmful to a child? In your experience, when you've uh, offered the extinction method, um, do you find that kids have difficulty from crying it out? What, what, would, you, what, what would you say about yeah. that? I'm a fan of crying it out. I I really should say I use all approaches. So crying it out, I have no issue with, but I'm not married to it. So I really try hard not to push parents into one thing versus the other and really like meet them where they're at. I always tell them like, it's good to stretch your boundaries just a little bit, your comfort zone. But if you pick an approach that doesn't feel good to you, so you're sleep training your little one and you pick crying it out and like your gut is just like, this is not right for me. You'll never be able to stick with the plan. And the truth is like um, being consistent is more important than anything, like more important than any plan you pick. We can get them sleeping if we like stick with whatever it is we choose. So I always tell parents, pick what feels right to you. That being said, I don't have any issues with crying it out. I don't believe that it causes any short-term, long-term attachment issues whatsoever. Your babies are ridiculously happy to see you in the morning, even if it's been a rough night. I like it because it's really just 
It's a way to give our kids the opportunity and the space to practice, 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 putting themselves to sleep and back to sleep. And it's like a skill, just like crawling or walking or pulling themselves up. Like the only way kids master that is to do it over and over and over and over. And sleep is really the same thing. So sometimes when we rush in too quickly, either we're not giving them that chance. And sometimes we're like, we're disrupting their process. We just don't right. know where they are at in that process because obviously they can't tell us that. So sometimes those checks can make it harder. Um, but I do tell parents, if you're like wavering between crying it out or checks, start with the intervals. Better to pull back our interaction than add more. Now, just to make it clear for people listening. So the cry it out method, what you mean by that is um, you put a baby to bed and then they, you pick a, a time that they're going to wake up and you don't respond to them the whole night. Or what does that actually mean to you when Correct. you say cry it out? So if they're going to bed at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. and they're going to get up at 6.30, that's our start time for the day. Good night. I love you. After you do your soothing routine, you put them in the crib and you're not going back there unless you're doing a feeding. And then, of course, you would go on for that one feeding and then back out. And then you wouldn't be back until it's time to get up for the day. Okay. And so I mean, for of course, a, safety, you know, safety trumps all. So if something's going on, you would pop in, but assuming that's not an issue, you would just leave them be. Now, the question I always get is how long is too long to let them cry? Yeah. yeah. Is there a time that you think is too long? I have my answer, but I'm curious. What I say. don't personally, I will let them cry as long as need be. Again, keeping an eye on that video monitor, making sure everybody's safe. There's not like a limb cut, you know, between the crib rails or something like that. But even if a little one is like, like rolled into the corner of the crib and doesn't look comfortable, I encourage parents to leave them alone because we want our kids to be able to figure out how to get themselves into a comfortable position. If their yes. leg is out of the rails, that's a different story. I don't want them to move funny and then hurt themselves. But um, so yes. my answer to that is that there's no real limit. I, I would agree with that. I've read the average uh, first night that a kid does the cried out method, they may cry for over an hour. Um, it could be more. It could, it could be, be more. more. I used to say like, oh, it will only be like so much. But I stopped doing that because I have had a couple kids who have like really held strong <laughs> for a long, yeah. long time overnight. So now there's yeah, no promises. But they pulled their sleep together. Mom and dad were amazingly consistent. Yes. And they did it. So Amazing. That's yeah. great. And and now in terms of the check-in method, um, are there, I know there's variations on that, but do you have a favorite method within the check-in method? Like how would that look for a family? So I have some variability depending on parents' comfort levels. I always try to start with five minutes because I think anything less than five minutes, like you pop in after a minute, they haven't had a chance to do anything. So yes, I always say fussing, light crying, whining, leave them be. That's like their way of like working things out. But once the real crying starts, you start your timer five minutes. And then from there we'll decide, are we adding one minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, or five minutes. So you could do five minutes and then wait six minutes and then wait seven minutes. And then every seven minutes until they put themselves to sleep, they wake up an hour later, five minutes, six minutes, seven, seven, seven. And then night two, you add a minute. So then you would do six minutes, seven minutes, eight, eight, eight. Or you could add when two you say minutes, those, three minutes, you know. And when you say those minutes, what does it look like when the parent goes in the room? Do they comfort the child back to sleep? So it's a great question. Um, no, they don't actually. They The check-ins are quick. I always say be in and out of that room in 30 seconds. A true um, time check approach, you go in there, calm, confident, positive voice. I'm here. I love you. I know you can do this. You can put your hand on them if you want. 
Your goal is not to get them to stop crying. Your goal is not to pick them up and your goal is not to get them to fall asleep. It's just to say, I'm here. I have total confidence in you that you can do this. And don't underestimate the power of your voice. Like for a parent to walk in and be like, oh, I know this is so, so hard for you. I'm so sorry. Versus mommy's here. I love you. I know you can do this. Like two totally different messages we're sending our kid, right? So I talk to the parents a lot about like our energy and our voices and our body language. Um, now, if parents want a more gradual approach, they could do that check. First try, sh- sh- see if that works. And if that doesn't work, then pick the little one up, calm them back in the crib and then out. But the tricky thing with this is that you don't want them to fall asleep on your shoulder because then that defeats everything. So a lot of times we pick up our babies and it's like, they're just so warm and cozy in our neck. They just like yes. fall right to sleep that we want to avoid. Cause we really are trying to teach our kids to get themselves to sleep by themselves from an awake, you know, state. I always say drowsy, but awake. In yeah. So I actually take it to the next level and I say calm or just awake because okay. drowsy is super subjective, right? Drowsy could be like your eyes are literally like, just have like that last little bit. That's drowsy. Drowsy could be a yawn. So I really, by the 18 week mark, so under 18 weeks, I would say drowsy, but awake over 18 weeks. I always say calm, but awake and sometimes not even calm attempt for calm, but if they're not, they're not, you know. And then how long on average in your experience, would you say it takes for a baby to be a good sleeper between the cried out method or the check-in method? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I usually say within a week, you'll see some pretty significant improvements for their night sleep. If everybody's being really consistent, the schedule is good, that environment is good, the routine is tight, feeding and sleeping is separate. Like, so, you know, crying it out or the time checks is one piece of the puzzle. When we think sleep training, we always go right there, but there's all these other pieces that have to be aligned as well. But I usually say within the first week, I think crying out is usually a little bit quicker than time checks, but both of them, I would say within a week, not perfection, but like good, good progress. Naps on the other hand can take some time. Those can, for some kids are like bam and other kids can take a few weeks to pull together. Okay. And your nap routine, is it similar to how you approach the the nighttime routine? It is sometimes a little bit longer maybe, but similar. Yeah. Okay. And then do you, do you say the nap feed play? Is that a cycle that you subscribe? Yeah. So I like to really separate feeding and sleeping so that sleep, play, eat, sleep, sleep, eat, play. Yeah. They're eating (laughs) after they sleep. Yeah. Eating after you sleep. Okay. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, I'll tell you from my own experience. So I have three kids and my oldest kid I had, she's now almost 11, but I had her in residency. And so in residency, I was doing these really long sleepless nights, 30 hour shifts. And when I, um, when I had her, um, um, and she was a baby, I really was desperate to start sleeping through the night when I was back at work because I was up all night at work and right, I really needed, needed to sleep it. at home. And I was a fan of, I wanted to do the cry it out method because I heard it was the fastest and the most effective and I was desperate. And my husband was really hesitant about it because he thought it seemed, you know, mean to her and, and that we weren't responding to her crying. And she was a tough one. It, you know, she would cry for an hour and a half the first night that we tried sleep training. Um, but it was so effective and it worked so well. Um, that by the time we had our next kid and I wasn't in residency and sleep wasn't so, you know, so precious, um, for me as it was before, 
I, I was not excited to do cry it out. I thought, oh, let's do a more gentle method. And then this time my, my husband was so uh, fond of how, how well it worked the first time yeah, yeah, that yeah. we switched places. He, he, you know, he really was excited to do it. the extinction again. Yeah. Cause it works so well. So, and I agree. I say, I say what you say is that, um, even though it sounds, uh, uh, like you're not responding to your child the next morning, she woke up smiling at me and happy, so happy to see you and it made it feel okay. Yeah. So I know people have different feelings about the cry it out method, but it worked Right. On and my I, end, it worked I very well. I try to be very respectful because everybody has different opinions and it's not even so yes. opinions. It's like comfort levels and that's fine. Again, consistency is more important than anything. Yes. And you have no, to kind I, of follow I, your baby's lead too. Sometimes we'll do the time checks and the checks yes. are making it harder for them because they're kind of yes. like, well, why are you coming in this room, but you're not doing anything for me. And then yes. we naturally progress to the crying it out if, if it's indicated. Yes. No, we, I remember we actually started with the, the time method and it didn't work. It made it worse. Yeah. So yeah, that's great. I, I love that you're responsive to different, you're not married to one method that nah. you'll respond to different styles. That's great. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite book that you recommend or is there a, a there's so many books on the market. There's um, so many the books. Um, book. There's so many books. My most favorite book for babies is Mark Weisbluth, Healthy Habits, yes. Happy Baby, I think it's called. That yes. for sure is sort of like my sleep Bible that I love. Um, my favorite book for toddlers, not so much like how to get your toddler to sleep, but like a book to read to your toddlers is called Putting Bungie to Bed. It's about this little boy and his stuffed animal monkey. And he's like teaching his monkey how to stay in bed. Um, it's the cutest book ever. So that's another fave. I'll have to check that out. I've never yeah, heard yeah, of yeah. it. Yeah, Thank you. you'll love it. Um, okay. So anything else that, that you'd like to add any additional thoughts? This has been really helpful, really great. Um, definitely a great starting point for a lot of families. Anything that you'd like to add that? No, just that, you know, having a child that's not sleeping does not have to be your lot in life. I think sometimes parents think like it's a newborn and I just, this is what it's all about. I'm supposed to be up all night. I'm supposed to suffer and it's all part of parenting. And it really doesn't have to be that way. I mean, those first few months can be tough, no doubt. But once we get to an age where we can teach our little ones to be good sleepers, you're giving yourself a gift and you're giving your child a gift to be a good sleeper. Um, and so I think sometimes if we change our perspective and then we're just better, I don't know, I can speak for myself when I'm well rested, like I'm a better spouse, I'm a better parent to my girls, I'm just better all the way around. Um, and so I think it's, you know, sleep's important for our babies, but it's really important for us as parents too. I think that's an excellent point. An excellent point because uh, I agree with you. A lot of families are hesitant to sleep train because they think um, they're not responding to their child in the middle of the night. But I completely agree that a, a well-rested child, it's it's better for them to be a better sleeper and a better rested parent makes for a better parent, which is also much healthier for a child. So 100%. I, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for all these tips. They've been so helpful. Um, and if people want to find you, what's your best contact if they want to use you as a sleep? Yeah, consultant? that would be wonderful. You can go to my website, um, sleepyheadsolutions.com and you can do a contact form there or just email me directly Renee at sleepyheadsolutions.com. So Thank yes, you so much. Reach out. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.